All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Baba Guys. My name is Rick Kleiner, and I'm joined here as always with Jerry, Jerry Hollinger. Jerry, this week, this is, we're recording on Monday. We dropped these on Friday. Yesterday was the Super Bowl. It I was. I don't even remember what, was it Super Bowl 56? 50? Uh, I just count them from how many years it's been since the Bears were in it. Right. So, well, they were in it in 2005, but when they won it, 85. So, yeah, 36. Okay. So, this would have been 51. No. Are you correct? I don't think. 56. I think it's 56. 50, 56, that's all right. 50, I think, was the Panthers, and it's been a while. Panthers, that was a joke. Hey, all right. So did you watch the game? I, you know, yes and no. I watched parts of it, mm-hmm. and I really struggled even to watch parts of it. I mm-hmm. had to wrestle with, do I let them take football away from me or not? That right. was the dilemma. So I did watch parts of it. Yeah, I'm a... Let's see. I was a I'm a Panthers fan, mm-hmm. and I'm now I'm saying it publicly. But I used to be a Bengals fan. Oh, only reason why is because I'm a lefty, and when I was a kid, Boomer 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 He was the only left-handed quarterback. First time I'd ever seen one, and I'm like, oh wow, my kinsman. Well, so, hey, I'm so old. I remember when Ken Anderson was the quarterback, and you're sitting there. I have no idea. No, who that no is. idea. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do you, when, you've been watching football so long. Did they have last names when you started watching, or was it just like of Nazareth? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, they weren't on the jerseys. Okay, I remember that. And so, um, so we watched the game. Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy for Matt Stafford. He took so much flack in Detroit, and gracefully. Yeah, so. he really did. He did, and I'm glad to see that. And then yeah. that that Cup guy, man, that guy. If he didn't win MVP, he was going to be incredible. I mean, he's he basically was just throwing it. I don't yeah. know how the Bengals. Again, we're we're armchairing. You know, we're Monday morning armchair quarterbacks here. Mm-hmm. How do you not put the whole team on that guy during that drive? I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we thought we'd start off a little bit. Um, so did you watch the commercials? I did not. Not a commercial. Could not. I cannot deal with that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, just too much. Yeah, I mean, they're so reflective of the mess that the culture's in. Mm-hmm. And I, I told you before, when I came in here, I thought of a verse in Galatians. Yep. And whenever I think of the commercials or think of those commercials, I thought of this verse who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And I thought, thank God I'm delivered from this. Mm-hmm. And um, to watch it would just have increased my stress level. Okay. And this is why we get along so well because I'm, I'm on the other side. Now, now we're going to, this is going to be the rise and fall of the Bible Guys podcast. So, because <laughs> we're very different. I'll watch them as long as it's not like, okay, I got to turn this because my kids, but some of them are uh-huh. kind of funny. They're cheesy. We watched it before the Multiverse of Madness trailer for the for the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe stuff. Um, and my wife even made the joke. She, gets, she As soon as it, they went to a timeout, my wife goes, yay, now the commercials. And she's kidding. Um, but we grew up in that same culture of you could have a Super Bowl party on your church property with youth groups, but turn it at the halftime show and turn it for the commercials, you know, because you never know what's going to happen. That's like, let's watch an R-rated movie with the youth group and then just turn it off at all the bad scenes. Wow. I mean, just face the fact that it's garbage yeah. and live without it. All right. So the so what you, so I'm, so I'm hearing from you is you didn't watch Dre. <laughs> you didn't watch Dre, Eminem, Mary J, Blige do the halftime show. I would actually, honest, you know, honestly, I would be concerned with a Christian that wanted to watch the halftime right. show. We stream. We were watching our sh- our family's watching a show right now. Um, we're like streaming through it on Disney mm-hmm. Plus, and so one of my kids was like, 
he hates football. So he's like, do we have to watch? No, we'll watch that show during the halftime. So we, we got that show in, then came back in third quarter. By that time, the Bengals were winning, and that lasted for a while. Well, you know, I speaking of the Bengals, I love their helmets. Yeah, they have the coolest helmets. That's like, I would have, I would be for the Bengals just because of their helmets. All right, so let's do this. We, I think the Bengals have the coolest helmets in the NFL. Top five. Okay. All-time ugliest helmet in the NFL. I know mine right away. Dallas. The old, oh, really? I think it's iconic. Well, it is iconic. Yeah, because it's iconic, but come on. I'm going to go old school Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the white helmet with the orange Buccaneer ah, face. I like the I like the 60s Buffalo helmet. Okay. And I think the greatest helmet of all time Let's hear it. is the Vikings. Oh, because of the horns on it? Oh, they those look, are, they do look those cool. Those are classic. They really do look cool. And that's what you want. You want to pick a team that has cool helmets. Mm-hmm. Right? I, noticed yeah. the, I noticed the Rams did something different with the Ram horn. It looks like it's 3D a little bit. See, I like the old blue and white yeah. Rams helmets. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Well, the All right, now that nobody's listening. Yeah, the listeners, you know, you, you guys paid for, you, you're paying for the Bobble guys. So you, we'll do a sports podcast later. So, Jerry, what's our question for today? Well, this comes from Acts 5. And a familiar story where Ananias and Sapphira, and since we're being honest, let's just state it frankly, yep. God kills Ananias and Sapphira. That's right. And um, so I, th- I think it's kind of a twofold question. Why did he kill them? Mm-hmm. And why so serious a measure for apparently not that big of a deal? Yeah, and this is a question that comes... I've been teaching um, teenagers for about 20 years now, a little bit over, and this is one of those where it comes up in, when we read it, they, all, they automatically put up their eyebrows like, whoa, this seems kind of harsh. Yes. And then non-believers, people who are on the outside and even want to be skeptical and maybe even critical of the faith, point to this and go, what right. kind of God right. does this? Yeah. And so we we really feel like the question needs to be answered. Yeah, and it, you know, it's funny you say that because the questions on this text go beyond the text to this whole issue of, you know, who is God Mm -hmm. and why would you even be interested in that kind of God? And then, then on our side, it's, it's almost comical. I almost laugh at this because then Christians go into this panic mode that they feel like they have to, you know, uh, defend God and they become his spin doctors and, uh, because we have to make him look palatable to people or nobody's yeah. going to accept him. Yeah. So it's just almost amusing sometimes to see people handle this from both sides. It reminds me, the way we do this, it reminds me of how my grandmother used to treat my grandfather. Um, he, w- he, was a, he was a northern fella, and he was from Boston, and he would just say what he was thinking at all times. So my grandmother, who was from the South, kind of ran interference. So he would say stuff right. in public, and my grandmother would go, uh, he's from the North. And it's almost, <laughs> it's almost like we have to do this with God. Like, wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait, mm, hang on. God, God's not really that cranky, um, but let's really embrace this, and let's look into the passage and what's being said. Well, and that goes in, too, to this whole idea. You know, people say there's a dichotomy between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Right. And um, Yeah, Marcion loved this. Yeah, and— it's also, if I can throw this out too, people, um, I think we become so used to God's goodness and grace when we read something like this or Nadab and Abihu or Uzzah or Korah or somebody like that, that um, we just don't know how to deal with it Yeah, because God is acting in a way that we don't like and, um, you know, we like creating our own golden calf version of God 
so that we have a manageable deity. Mm-hmm. And when you see something like this, it's like, okay, I don't know how to deal with it. Yep. So let's read the passage. I'm going to read it. I'm reading on the HCSB today. And it says here, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read all the way down to verse verse 10. Actually, no, I'm going to read all the way to verse 11. Ooh, this is like a Presbyterian church service. We're reading a huge block here. Yeah, we, we got to get All this. right. All right. Uh, but a man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, we, we probably should stop here because the context is telling us in verse in chapter 4 what's been happening. People yeah. have been selling property, selling things they have, so they can give to those in need. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's been happening, and um, in verse thirty-six of chapter four, names are being dropped: Joseph, a Levite, and Cypriot by birth, whom the apostles named Barnabas. So he's familiar to us, which is translated "son of encouragement." He sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So now here comes Ananias and Sapphira, mm-hmm. doing the same thing, but their thing is they're they're holding back a portion of it. Verse 3, then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped the body, carried him out, and buried him. There was an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked, uh, asked her, did you sell the field for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her, buried, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. So there's a lot going on in that passage that we can pull on, but we should start at the very beginning. We know the context. There was this this giving campaign, let's use that term. People were seeing needs. People were struggling. Christians, believers were struggling financially, and they were the phrase in the King James says they they had all things common, or they just they 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 shared their in their their abundance. Um so we got communism going on here. Uh, is that what this is? <laughs> yeah, at um Clearly, the giving was not compulsory, right? Um, and really, I think it becomes an excellent. This becomes, you know, we don't build our church polity per se on what happens in Acts, but this is a very good model of the way the church should function financially. You see a need within the church. I'm not a huge proponent of taking care of the needs outside of the church, but you see the needs within the church among your members. And you give as you are able to help out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that that's just a great example. And um, you know it'd be nice if we should follow follow that more. It's really not the point of this podcast, but I think it's good to note. So let's talk. Let's do this. Let's talk about what was this? What was the offense? The punishment, and, and why so harsh? Let's go through that. So so first of all. I think the offense can sometimes get misunderstood because Peter says you have lied to the Holy Spirit. So the argument is you lied. That's why this happened. Um, I think there's a little bit more going on in the context because the the question is why? Why did Ananias and Sapphira lie? Well, they what did they do? Well, they sold a piece of property, brought that money in, or they they kept back some of it, brought the the new difference in and said that this was the whole amount. 
So what they're doing is they're making they're making themselves look more generous than they really are. Now, I mean, there's nothing wrong with holding back the proceeds. Even Peter says, "Hey, it was your money? You can right. do what you wanted to with it." Right. The problem is, is what you did. You're you're looking. It's almost like you're looking for the notoriety. You're looking for the look at me, look what I've done. It's for show. It's not for the Lord. It's all about you because you 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 lied to make this more than it really was. So do we have a 21st century equivalent? Wow. You have more church experience than I do. Yeah, but I'm not going to name names. You probably have an answer to this question. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a good answer, but here's where I'm going to go with it. Um, I think a lot of times we do things for show. Yes. Um, even in our service, worship, if you want to use word worship, am I doing this for the Lord? Am I doing this for the people around me? Am I doing this so that they see me? Am I doing that? I think I heard it. Somebody, somebody said it this way. We used to see things that need to be done and do them. But now in our world of social media, we do things with the need to be seen. Mm. I, I want to, I want to kind of throw it this way. This might be the, the equivalent, maybe a, we're going to do a church thing. We're going to do a service project and I'm going to take selfies the whole time I'm there. But behind the camera, I'm really not doing anything. I'm there, and I'm taking pictures. Look at me serving, but I'm not really serving. Almost like staged photos. I'm not doing anything. The real work is happening while I'm taking the selfie, but you saw me doing it. I think that's a great application. And, um, man, you're bringing me right up to date into the current uh, culture. I appreciate it. My goal is to get you to at least the 20th century, <laughs> and then then you're on your own. Um, okay, so we have that. Let me throw something out there. Okay. This one, as, as I read it, so this is not in show notes. Well, this will be interesting because I've got something kind of radical to throw out. Awesome. You go first. So did Peter set her up? Wow, I hadn't thought of that. I mean, look what he asked her. He says in verse um, in verse 8, tell me, Peter asked, did you sell the field for this price? Well, he either set her up or he was being magnanimous and giving her opportunity to repent. Yeah. I, want, I think it's number two. But can you but can <laughs> but can you see why people would see that go, wait, that sounds kind of sketchy. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Some and, some might yell entrapment. Yeah, and that uh that raises another point mm-hmm. which shows this was very deliberate. Mm-hmm. This had been planned out, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of almost fits with what we talked about last week as far as perseverance of the saints. This was not a, an incidental thing just off the cuff. Yeah. And evidently this attitude and problem that I'm going to throw out to you had been going on for quite some time. Yeah. And I would say what Peter's doing here, my personal thought on this is what Peter's doing is it's kind of like a father talking to his kid who knows, mm-hmm. look, I know you did it. You say, listen, is that what happened? And you're giving, I'm giving you a chance to confess and you didn't take it. So it's not a setup. It's a, yeah. I'm, you, you, you choosing to lie, that's on you. So I see that's what's happening. I think so, too. All right, what else? What did you see there? Well, um, first of all, let me say, and this is going to fit into what I want to throw out, is I very much appreciate, and people should know, we don't talk about this before we record. I have no, I had no idea what you're going to say. Um, no, but, I don't either. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate how you laid out the context going back to Chapter 4, because this is one of the worst chapter breaks in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you have a paragraph here picturing the unity of the church. 
And what Luke is doing is he is he begins by giving a positive example of unity, followed by this negative example. So I really appreciate because I think that's going to be important and ultimately why I think this penalty was so severe. So here's my question, or should I just throw it out as a statement? Do it. I'll throw it out as a statement. Christians can be filled with Satan as much as they can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. And Peter point blank says this to Ananias. He says, why has Satan filled your heart? And my premise is, as a believer, we can be filled either with Satan or the Holy Spirit. Okay. So, so that, there it is. Yeah, you threw that out there. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people misunderstand what spirit filling is. Okay. Because in part, they're using an English definition of the word fill, and they're thinking in terms of, you know, filling up a something empty with content. That is not what the filling of the Spirit means in the New Testament. In fact, there are about three different ways the concept can be used. But the one here that I think is in play that I want to focus on is that the filling of the Spirit is when we operate in the realm of the Spirit, which is our responsibility— we walk in obedience, we walk in riches of the Word of God. This is how Colossians 3 will explain it when you compare that with Ephesians 5, that our responsibility as believers is to live and walk and obey in the realm where the Spirit works, which is the Word of God. As we do that, the Spirit will empower us and produce His fruit in us. Contrarywise, it is possible for Christians to walk in the realm of Satan. And when they do that, Satan will influence them. So let me give a couple examples here. Uh, The first one is in Romans 6. And in Romans 6, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul says that we have been placed into unity with Christ through spirit baptism. That's our position. We are now in Christ. But we have to work that out. And in the second half of Romans 6, Paul will tell us, you know, you've got, you can't serve sin, you've got to serve God. You've, you can't let sin reign in your mortal body, you've got to do this. So there's, there's a practical element. Um, early in Romans 6, he says the old man is dead. You're no longer in that sphere of sin and death and Satan and Adam. You go to a, a chapter like Ephesians 4, and Paul will say, put off the old man. Why? Paul said, you said earlier, he's dead. Well, now he's speaking practically. You, you can't do those things associated with the old life. And then you turn to a passage like in 1 John. John says that a believer is walking in darkness when he hates his brother. And we know it's a believer there because he has a spiritual relationship with this person he's hating. And John says, you are walking in darkness. Walking in darkness as I think John makes the point in his first epistle, is equivalent to walking in Satan's realm. And when a Christian walks in that realm, he's going to be influenced by Satan, just as if when he walks in the Spirit's realm, he will be influenced by the Spirit. So, in that sense, I'm not talking about indwelling here. I'm not right. talking about Satan and the Holy Spirit both living in me, fighting it out. Right. I'm talking about the realm in which we choose to live our lives. Yeah. 
And I would argue that Ananias and Sapphira have been living in the realm of Satan. This has been the influence on them, and this leads to this sin, Yeah, um, which is how I would explain it. And um, toward the end of the podcast, I'd like to also suggest why the punishment was so severe, but I think that's what was happening. Yeah, I think uh, I would agree, and I would I would use I usually use the terms because you know where it says um, Paul says don't be drunk with wine, which leads to you know, which leads to excess, but be filled. The idea is control. You're gonna let someone control you. The being filled with the Spirit is you're, you're yielding control of the Holy Spirit. Same idea here. Hey, they're, because they're over here, they're they're living in this life. They're they're making these decisions. They're putting it as you said in the realm of Satan. They're, they're letting they're letting the the flesh control them. They're letting the desire for notoriety, the desire yes. for for some eye service. Because I think that's really the problem here. As I look at this, I'm looking at this ecclesiological, the idea that this has a problem. This could be a big problem in the early church, what he what they're doing. It's next chapter where we see the biggest problem happening in the church with the, I'm going to say the, the an ethnic preference, where you have the Greek-speaking Jews being denied, their widows are being ignored during the daily distribution of food, which seems to come from this idea they're selling and giving out, while the the Hebraic Jews are getting more attention, and and that has a that has the possibility of splitting and and destroying this new thing. That's why the deacons are brought in. Um, same thing here. God acting, or God acting decisively here and not letting this go, is is saving. What could what could, if left unchecked, destroy this new movement? Um, he see. I mean, the way you see this is that the responses to people. Look at how the people responded. Great fear in verse five after Ananias' death. Great fear came upon all those who heard. And then you see in verse um, eleven. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. So the fact that Ananias and Sapphira suffer harshly for this decision to magnify themselves over others and to almost create a a service, a serving caste system. Look how great I am compared to these people who didn't. Um, God acts decisively, and that and people say, "Wait a minute, God's this is this is legitimate. What what's going on here? This church thing, this Christian thing, that's legitimate. Look what God's doing. He's not playing around when unity is je- when unity is put into jeopardy." I think you have hit it exactly right. <laughs> this is an ecclesiastical issue. This is a church unity issue. Yeah. And if I could just build on that by adding another text, going back to Ephesians, really the major theme of Ephesians is unity. Mm-hmm. And in chapter 4, which I referred to a moment ago, Paul is telling them to put this off, put this on, put this off, put this on. He says if you don't do that— You grieve the Holy Spirit. And I always found it interesting, why does Paul single out the Holy Spirit being grieved? I mean, doesn't sin grieve the Father? Doesn't sin grieve the Son? Yeah, it does. Why single out the Spirit, though? It's because the Spirit is the one who has created the unity of the body Mm -hmm. by creating the church itself. Mm -hmm. And here we are in chapter 5, and what happened in chapter 2? The Holy Spirit is poured out on the Jews in Jerusalem. The church is formed, and now it's as if here in chapter 5 we had one of the initial problems attacking unity, and God says, as you indicated, you know, I want you to understand this is not going to be tolerated. 
Then you go to like 1 Corinthians 11, same thing. Um, they're showing preference, uh, the rich over the poor. Some of the people are dying. Again, that was a, an attack on the unity of the church. God was not going to have any of it. And, and I think that is exactly why this was so severe. God just setting the point at the beginning that it is a serious thing to tamper with the unity of the body of Christ. And here, right at its, at its inception, uh, I'm going to let you know that that's the case. And I, as a church historian, you know, I teach it. I love to study it myself. People ask, well, what are some of the fa- things that, you know, we, we all automatically go to, like we mentioned Marcion earlier, the early heresies that, but really those weren't that big issues. I mean, people want to think that they're big issues, but they really were squelched pretty quickly. You know, Arianism was was defeated pretty resoundingly. Only two bishops went for it, and that was Arius and Eusebius. They were the only ones. Everybody else was like, there's no chance. This is not biblical. This is not scriptural. This is not passed through the great tradition. But the biggest danger is the the unity. Yes. It happens here. It happens in Acts 6. We'll see it later in 1 Corinthians when Paul talks about the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. He talks about, you know, some of you guys come in and you got a lot of food, and you're not taking care of those who have no food. Mm-hmm. You're, and then the passage, we read it sometimes before before observances of the Lord's Supper, where we say that if anybody eats of this bread or drinks this club unworthy, you know, drinks condemnation upon himself, and he's like, you know, he's he's profaned the 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 phrase the the body. So well, not not yours, the body of Christ. Exactly right. It's that that's really an issue. So really, instead of me setting down before I take the the bread and the the cup, and saying what secret sin am I holding on to, which is important. It's more about who am I, who have I got problems with in yes. here, or who's got problems with me, and we need to get that right before we all take part of this. That was the issue in Corinth, right, and in Corinthians. So you're right. It's not I'm sitting there before I partake of communion. Oh, that I have a lustful thought today. That I have an angry thought today. Like you said, if I do, yeah. Deal with that. Yeah. But that's not the point, and mm-hmm. that's not why people were dying. Mm-hmm. Eating and drinking unworthily was showing preferences within the Corinthian church, mm-hmm. and, and that's what we're called to repent of. I saw this as, example of this is at a church I went to, new believer, or young believer, I should say, and we had just had like a members meeting about something like the week before, maybe even that night or something. I'm trying to remember the, the context. But I know that one of the leaders, one of the, the elders in the church— had been really attacked. And and when we, when we took the elements, he passed on all of them. And I remember hear, seeing that going, what's he doing? And then finding out later, like he said, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't the right place. I had problems that I need to get right with before I do this. So he was willing to pass on it, get it right with that person, and then come back the next time we do it and take it. That's great. That meant so much. It was like, yeah, yeah this is more than just I got a cracker and some juice. This is, I am really taking this seriously because that's really what the passage is talking about. It's not about drinking, just, you know, death. Like he, when, he's, when he does say that passage, hey, if you do this unworthy, you might die. It's really talking about the unity of the church. Mm-hmm. So he, this is extreme punishment. Yes, it is. So any more things we need to know before we move on from this? Well, I don't think, um, I don't think we should take from this a paranoia that, you know, God's going to start killing us, yeah. you know, if we disrupt the unity of the church. You know, he might. Uh, he probably won't. Mm-hmm. Seems like he did that more at the beginning. Yeah. So I think what we should take from this— So let's ask why. Why the beginning? Because that's what people are asking. Why would he do it here and not now? 
because there's probably some pastors listening to this podcast going, I wish he would. Oh, when, <laughs> when I was a pastor, there were people I wish God would take out. Yeah. But, you know, I think I think kind of two reasons. One, I think at the beginning, you, you're just setting down the importance of the issue. And the second thing I would add is that um, we don't know. Yeah. Maybe, and I'm not suggesting this in the least, I'm just right. saying maybe there are times when um, somebody does die, what we would say prematurely, perhaps this is God's doing for something like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. Um, and Corinthians also talks not only about dying, but being bodily weak and sickly. Yeah. You know, God could inflict discipline still on that. Yeah. So I don't think we should dismiss that God isn't doing this, but um, we just know about the severity here in the text, I think because of the um, fact that the church had just started. I'm not sure where I read it. it for some reason, Walvard or Ryrie pop in my head when I say when I think this. But it, I think I remember somebody saying that because the church was, that, it was almost, think of the infancy of the church, mm-hmm. where with an infant, there's more care from the parent. There's so much, you're hovering. Like every every parent of a newborn is a helicopter parent. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all mm-hmm. taking care. Um, so the reason why God does it so strongly here is because we, the church was in its infancy. The, the, the completed word was not done. Um, the canon was not closed. We did not have the, all the revelation that God had wanted to give. And then, so he's he's having to be more hands-on. Yeah, and since this would be inscripturated, then this would be there for posterity. Right. All right, so we may have said it already, but just let's clarify, because I always like to land the plane. What do we do with a passage like this, or this passage specifically? Well, I would go back to something that you said earlier. You know, we've mentioned this was such a big deal in the early church. We see it elsewhere in Acts, as you've pointed out. We see it in Corinthians. We see it in Ephesians. We see it in James. We see it in 1 John. So this is clearly a theme throughout. So I think I think what we need to take from this is that we as modern Christians, 21st century, right? That's where we are. Okay, so 21st century. We need to see as modern Christians, this is one of the most serious issues, uh, the uh, ecclesiastical life. And I think sometimes we become so self-absorbed. We're all worried about those little habits we can't break and and all of that. Let's become, the big thing is the picture of, of the church, the body of Christ. That should be our biggest concern. And I really think that a lot of the New Testament texts are dealing with, you know, the health of the body, not so much our personal lives. So that's what I take from this. This is a big deal and extremely important. Yeah, I'd agree. And it, I think that's where I'd want to land it, that the church, the unity of the local church is the most important thing. It's one of the most important things. It's, it's as It goes back to what Jesus said, the world may know, you know, that the world may know that I sent you based on your love for one another and that, you know, that Christ's prayer in the garden before or the night before when he was betrayed was that he, that they, we may be one yes. that, so that the world may know that he was sent by the father. All right. Well, thank you for that question. If, as always, if you have a question for the Bible Guys, you can email us at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. You could also send that to us on Twitter or Instagram. That's at BibleGuysPod. Same username for both of those. Uh, we look forward to those questions. We will put those questions on a future episode. Also, make sure to like or subscribe to the Bible Guys on your favorite listening platforms. For Jerry Hollinger, I'm Rick Clyde. We'll see you next time.